Good morning. Good morning, my NLH family. It's such a joy to be with you another Sunday morning. Indeed, a privilege to be here to be able to share the word with you. And um, thank you so much for, for your prayer, Sister Laverne. And thank you for ministering to us in song, Sister Tashina. Um, this morning, this week begins a series that NLH will be doing called Encountering Jesus in the Gospels. And the overarching topic for this week is the word made flesh. And my title for this week is the divine yet human encounter. That's a divine yet human encounter. So if I were to put the two together, the title would be The Word Made Flesh, The Divine Yet Human Encounter. And my introduction this morning is going to explore the significance of a few of the verses that we read in John 1. John 1, 1 identifies Jesus Christ as God existing before time. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14 speaks to the God incarnate, Jesus Christ, who came and lived on earth. And it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John 1.18 says, it, it, John 1.18 distinguishes between God the father and Jesus the son while also establishing the oneness of the Godhead. And it says, no one has ever seen God, but the, only, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father. So what is John saying in these verses? He's saying that the word existed from the beginning and so establish the pre-existence the pre of the word. We also see Jesus saying this in John 17, verse 5, where he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. John is saying, God the Father, Jesus the Son, as this are distinctive, but yet one. We also see this in John 17, verse 11, that says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. The Greek word that is used for the term the word in John 1, 1 is logos. So John 1, 1 is saying, in the beginning was the logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Logos is also often used in scripture to mean the written word. And an example is in Hebrews 4.12, where, where it says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The word that is referenced there is a Logos word. In John 17.17, 17, we see where Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. And again, he was referring to the Logos word of God being truth. But not only is the Logos the written word, but Jesus in scripture showed a clear link between the written word of God and himself. He showed that he was a subject of the written word. And we see that in John 5, 39. In speaking to the Jewish leaders, Jesus said, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you. you and you aren't willing to receive from me the life that you say you want. So we see Jesus saying here that he is the word. Another Greek word that is used for the term the word is rhema. And rhema refers to the spoken or written word of God. When tempted in the wilderness, Jesus answered Satan, 
Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's a rhema word. We see writers in the Old Testament also using the Hebrew word dabar, which is spelled D-A-B-A-R and pronounced dabar, to refer to the word of God. And it referred to the word of God as some sort of communication from God. Dabar, translated to English, means answer, appoint, bid, command, commune, promise, declare, teach, or rehearse. Those are some of the English synonyms for the word dabar. So having said all of that, how does it come together? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John, 4, John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God. So here there's a word slash God that existed before time. The word Jesus, who is also God, who came in the form of man. There is a Logos word, the written word of God. There's a Rhema word, the spoken word of God. And there's a Dabar word, also the spoken word of God in the form of a command or instruction or the other things I mentioned. So if Jesus, who became flesh and dwelt among us, was himself God or is himself God, the creator who existed before time, then it means that God who communicated to man through his word, his Logos word, his Rhema word, the Dabar word, sent himself and his word to live among us as flesh in the person of Jesus. Let me say that again. If Jesus who became flesh and dwelt among us was himself God, the creator who existed before time, then it means that God who communicated to man through his Logos word, his Rhema word, and his Dabar word, sent himself and his word to live among us in the person of Jesus Christ. So if Jesus is God incarnate, he's not only God, but he's the Logos word, the Rhema word, the Dabar word. In Hebrews 1.1, it says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So it means then that Jesus, being all of what I mentioned, came to pattern for humanity what it means to live out the word of God. Jesus came to pattern for humanity what it means to live out the word of God. So why was it necessary for God to send his son as the incarnate one to take on human flesh and live among us. Why was that important? The first reason I propose today why Jesus became flesh was to be our example in the wilderness. To be our example in the wilderness. Remember the Hebrew word I mentioned, dabar? One of the English translations of that word is rehearse. Jesus became flesh to rehearse for us what it means to live an incarnational lifestyle. Living in the flesh as pastor taught us recently, but inviting God to infuse his sacred into our ordinary. Jesus rehearsed for us how to deal with everyday human experiences. And let's look at some practical examples. Jesus experienced temptation. Matthew 4, we see where he was tempted by the devil when he was in the wilderness. In the wilderness, Jesus' response to Satan's temptation was to speak the word of God. Three times he said it is written. He said, it is written, do not put the Lord thy God to the test. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. A wilderness season is a time of testing, a time of trying, a time of training, 
And this time is often marked by periods of isolation, loneliness, temptation, sorrow, and waiting. And I'm going to ask you a question this morning, and I, I, I want you to answer. It's, answer. it's not a rhetorical question. How many of you listening to me are going through a wilderness experience? You can either just raise your hands, virtual hands, or your physical hands, or you can, can unmute. How many of you this morning are going through a wilderness experience? And I'll be the first to say me. Okay, I see, I see one, one hand raised. So some of us are going through a wilderness experience. My second question to us this morning is, and you don't have to answer, what is your wilderness response? And does that align with the example set by Jesus? What is your wilderness response? And does that align with the example set by Jesus? Why was Jesus's response in the wilderness so profound? Remember how John 1 starts. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him was nothing made that has been made. And I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is God in the flesh, God incarnate. God, the speaker of the Logos word, the Rhema word, the Dabar word. God, the creator of the universe, including the devil who is a created being. This Jesus, the son of God, but himself God, when faced with temptation in the wilderness, saw it important to remind Satan, who is a created being, about what he, God, said. Imagine that if Jesus as a second person of the Trinity saw it important to remind Satan about what the word of God says, how much more us? Jesus was modeling for us. Those of us here as humans who exist in the flesh want to do in our wilderness. How are you navigating your wilderness experience? Are you following what Jesus modeled? When faced with trials and difficulties, what is your reflex response? Is it, Lord, why am I going through this again? God, why have you left me out here alone? I feel abandoned. I feel isolated. What comes out of your mouth in conversation with your friends about your situation? Boy, I don't know how much longer I can manage this. All of these things that we say without thought. It's time that we pause and self-examine. Remind ourselves of who we are because of the incarnate Christ. Remind ourselves of the example that Jesus said. How about instead of complaining, we, en we, we, we encourage ourselves and we make a decision to speak the word of God like Jesus did. When faced with situations that would tempt us to be fearful, that would tempt you to be fearful, how about declaring Joshua 1, 9, that says, I will be strong and of good courage. I will not be afraid nor dismayed for the Lord, my God is with me wherever I go. How about when you're tempted to feel overwhelmed by your circumstances, you remind yourself of Isaiah 43, 2 to 3, which, which says, when I pass through the waters, he will be with me. When I go through the rivers, they shall not overflow me. When I walk through the fire, I shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch me. For he is my Lord, the Holy One of Israel, my Savior. How about when you're tempted to ask God, where are you, God, in this dry place? Like David, you declare, I will lift up mine eyes onto the hills from whence cometh my help, because my help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. How about when tempted to think that you're going to cave in under the weight of the situation that is facing you? Like Jesus, you draw again for the word and declare, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thou art with me, your rod and your staff shall comfort me. You, my God, will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
Remember, my brothers and sisters, the wilderness can be a place where you feel isolated. How about when you're tempted to start having a pity party? You draw for Psalm 91 and declare, I will dwell in the secret place of the Most High. I shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Surely he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover me with his feathers and under his wings I will find refuge. His faithfulness will be my shield and rampart. I will not be afraid of the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but none will come near me because I will only observe with my eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. How about saying, because I've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high my dwelling place, no evil shall befall me, no disaster shall come near my dwelling, for he will give his angels charges concerning me to keep me in all my ways. They will lift me up in their hands so that I will not strike my foot against a stone. I will tread upon the lion on the cobra. I will tread upon the great lion on the serpent because I have set my love on him. My God will deliver me. He will set me on high because I acknowledge his name. I will call upon him and he will answer me. He will be with me in trouble. He will deliver me and he will honor me. With long life will he satisfy me and show me his salvation. How about join for the scripture, join for the word like Jesus did and declaring that over your circumstances when you're tempted to think whatever or do whatever. How about we stop acting like the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary's cross is any less powerful today than it was back then? How about we follow the example of Jesus and start professing, declaring, pronouncing the word of God over our situations as we go through our respective wilderness experiences? Jesus came in the flesh to reconcile us to his father and give us the privilege of being called sons of the most high. Romans 8, 17 says, now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. It's full time, my brothers and sisters, we stop acting like we're bastard children and that we take a hold of and declare what the Logos word of God says about us as we go through our respective wilderness experiences. Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us stop acting like mamby-pamby Christians. Up today, down tomorrow. And let us start acting and speaking with the authority that we have as children of God. The Israelites were children of God. They too passed through a wilderness. But there's a stark contrast between Jesus' response in his wilderness and the response of the children of Israel in their wilderness. Jesus responded with the word and he modeled that for us. Jesus's response led to the launch of his preaching ministry and the calling of his first four disciples. And we see that in Matthew 4, 12, from, from 12 to the end. The children of Israel responded with ingratitude, grumbling and complaining while they were in their wilderness. Their response prolonged their journey and delayed them stepping into their destiny. Your response in your wilderness, my brothers and sisters, will determine the nature and the timing of the outcome. Your response can either launch you to fulfillment of your divine purpose, 
or it can de delay or derail you. The choice is ours. How will we respond in our wilderness? Will it be the response that Jesus modeled for us or will it be the response of the children of Israel? The next point I want to look at still looks at Jesus's example, but the experiences I'm gonna look at, look at Jesus's experience in relation to others. That is how he was treated. So my next point this morning is Jesus became flesh to be our example in suffering. What are some of the other things that Jesus experienced in his body of flesh? And what was the example he set for us? Jesus experienced abandonment. We see that in Matthew 26, 56, when all his disciples left him. And Matthew 26, 69 to 75, when Peter denied him. Jesus was falsely accused. Matthew 26, 60, where he was falsely accused by those in authority. Jesus was arrested based on these false accusations. John 18. Jesus was ridiculed. We see that in Matthew 26, 67 to 68, when he was spat upon and slapped. Jesus was betrayed. Matthew 26, 50, where Judas betrayed him and he was taken captive. Jesus was rejected in Matthew 27, 21 to 22, when the people chose Barabbas over him. He was mocked, Matthew 27, 29 to 30. And it says, and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Jesus experienced insults, Matthew 27, 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. What was Jesus's response in these situations? When he was betrayed by Judas with a kiss, in Matthew 26, 50, Jesus said, do what you came for, friend. This demonstrated that Jesus was yielded to his father's will. He knew what was going to happen and he did not object. In John 18, when they came to arrest Jesus, he identified himself as the one they wanted. He not only identified himself, but he told the men to let the disciples go. In verse 9, Jesus said, this happened so that the word he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. And this is a prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. This demonstrated that Jesus remembered what he himself had prayed and he knew that it had to come to pass. And so he yielded to what they were doing. Do you remember what God has spoken over your life? Is your response in your suffering to remain resolute and act in a way that does not interfere with the fulfillment of God's word? When Peter cut off the ears of one of the soldiers that, um, that, that came to arrest him, Jesus rebuked Peter. In John 18, 11, it says, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? This demonstrated that Jesus was willing to bear the bitter cup that was about to be his portion. We know that Peter loved Jesus and we know that he cut off the, so the ear of the soldier because he was defending his friend. To the ordinary person, this would be a noble act. But Jesus saw the bigger picture. What is your response when those who are in your inner circle are counseling you or acting in a manner that is an obstacle to God's purpose being fulfilled in your life? This, the, the song that Sister Tashina started with says, I have leaned on the counsel of men. Oh Lord, forgive me. She and I never spoke 
but it's so applicable to this word. Too often when we are counseled in a way that is out of alignment with the will of God, our persons in our circle act in a way that is out of alignment with the will of God. We're timid to correct or rebuke because we feel bad for the person. We feel badly. Or we say we know they meant well, just like we know Peter meant well. But silence and inaction by us can delay or derail God's plan. Jesus' response models for us how to treat with such situations. Excuse me. In the Matthew 26, excuse me. In the Matthew 26 account of the arrest of Jesus, after Jesus told Peter to put away his sword, Jesus said to Peter in verses 53 to 54, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Is that your posture when you're faced with a similar situation? How do you respond when you're suffering at the hand of others? It can be injustice on your job, ill treatment by a friend, a family member or a colleague. It could be that you're in a situation where you can try to figure your way out of it, but God is saying, no, be still. Jesus had options. He himself said that his father could have dispatched 12 legions of angels. And when I looked up what a legion is, in Roman history, a legion was a highly disciplined, well-trained, and heavily armed body of infantry. A legion was comprised of anywhere from five to 6,000 soldiers. Five to 6,000. So Jesus was saying his father could have, at his call, sent 12 legions, that is 60,000 to 72,000 angels to his defense. But he, Jesus, chose not to call his father. Why? Because the word had to be fulfilled. What is your response when you face suffering, trials, and persecution? How often do we seek to employ our options? We employ our options out of fear because we don't want to drink the bitter cup, whatever that bitter cup represents for us. We employ our own strategies out of impatience. We can't wait for God to do his work, so we're going to step in and help him. We do it out of anger. It's a reflex reaction to how people treat us. We do it out of pride. We want to show that we have power or we have the means to do something about what somebody else is doing to us. Maybe we do it out of ignorance because we don't know what the Logos or the Dabar word, Dabar word of God says, or we may have even forgotten the Rema word that was spoken. So instead of following Jesus's example, the example of being laser focused on the divine purpose that needs to be fulfilled, we resign from our jobs because we can't stand our boss or our colleagues. We stop coming to church because we can't stand pastor or brother or sister. We threaten to leave our marriages because we're fed up with our spouses. And the list goes on and on. Jesus' suffering at the hands of people was designed to fulfill what was already written in the word. What if you're suffering at the hands of whomever you're suffering at, hands you're suffering at, is designed to fulfill what God has written about you? What if your suffering is an invitation by God for you to intercede for your boss or for your colleague because that is what he has written in the next chapter of your life? Mary Jane or Tom Strokes will be saved because of the intercession of Karen. God has written in his chapter on me. Mary Jane or Tom Strokes will be saved because of the intercession of Laverne. And not only that, but it is also written 
that your peace is waiting on your prayer. We see that in 1 Timothy 2.1. I urge you then, first of all, that petition and prayers, intercession, thanksgiving, be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. You hear that? That we will live peaceful and quiet lives. So the solution is not to resign. The solution is to pray. What if the suffering in your marriages are called to be the watchman on the wall, the prayer warrior who will not cease until there's a breakthrough? What about the voluntary service you offer? It could be in church, it could be in your community, or it could be at work, in a particular group at work. What if God has written in your book that you are the Bezalel that he gave to Moses so the gifts and talents that he gave you can be used for kingdom building? Or is it that you're suffering at the hands of your neighbors in your community? What if what God has written about that community is that there's going to be a windfall of souls because he has set you as the intercessor for that community? So instead of complaining and, and deciding that, boy, I'm going to move, you know, because we can't stand these people. What if instead of that, you do a prayer walk through your community and start claiming souls for the kingdom of God? We're encouraged to do that at NLH so that we can, we, we, we can build the kingdom of God. What if your suffering is dead? Are you looking to employ your own solution? So you may say, okay, I'm going to borrow or I'm going to get a second job or a third job when God is not saying that's what you should do. So instead of doing that, God wants you to learn what it means for him to be your Jehovah Jireh. Too often, my NLH family, our responses are carnal, not motivated by the spirit of God who lives on the inside of us, but rather motivated by the flesh. Too often we seek counsel from persons who do not have a godly perspective. Like Peter, we lose sight of, or maybe we're even ignorant of the bigger picture. And so we act in the flesh. Jesus's life as God in flesh, God incarnate, is an example to us that we too can endure our struggles. We too can endure our sufferings and respond with one goal in mind, and that is for the fulfillment of God's purpose. Jesus left the deity of heaven to come in the form of carnal man, to rehearse, to pattern, to model for us how to respond when we're faced with similar situations that he was faced with. This is not a long message this morning. So as I close, I want to challenge each and every one of you hearing this message, whether it is live, you're listening now live, or you are listening to the recorded message. Examine your posture in suffering. When the suffering brings temptations to act in a manner that exalts flesh over the spirit, remember 2 Corinthians 2, 3 to 4, and declare that the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and everything, every high thing that would seek to exalt itself up above the, against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive and into obedience of Christ. What does that mean? It means that every thought, every action, Every reflex, like Peter enjoying his story, which is out of alignment with the word of God, you are able to take authority over it. So let us be intentional about not employing carnal weapons, not responding in our flesh, but rather responding according to what the Logos word of God says. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, knew that suffering was an invitation to closer relationship with Christ. He wrote in Philippians 3, 10 to 11, 
I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I believe that the becoming like him and being risen from the dead that Paul is talking about is not physical death, but rather experiencing the resurrection power of Christ while we're here on earth. He continues in verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining, pressing towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Will that be your declaration today? The, the penultimate chapter of John is chapter 20. And this is the account of Jesus's resurrection. In verse 30 to 31, the message version reads, Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. You hear that? These are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. In these two verses, John is referring to two aspects of knowing Christ, knowing Christ as the Messiah, and that means accepting and saying with our mouths that Jesus is the son of God, that he came in the body of man to die the ultimate death on a cross, to pay this, the penalty for our sins, a penalty that we ourselves could not pay. And so by believing and confessing, we have the privilege to be called children of God. The second aspect that the writer is talking about, John is talking about, of knowing Christ, is having to having come to know him as Messiah, we can now experience heaven here on earth by living the life that Jesus modeled for us, whether we're in a wilderness or it is in suffering. In John 14, 25 to 27, it reads, all this I have spoken while still with you. This is Jesus speaking. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I, did not, I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So the comfort we have is that what Jesus modeled for us in the wilderness and in suffering, we are also able to live, not just because he modeled it, but because the third person of the Trinity and the person of the Holy Spirit now lives on the inside of us. It is because of the presence of the helper that we can do as Jesus did. If you're listening to this message, as, as I said, whether live or recorded, and you do not know Jesus Christ as the Messiah, your savior, you are not able to live what Jesus modeled on your own. And so I'm inviting you to come to know him as this Messiah that John is talking about, as your Lord and Savior. John 1.12 says, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right, the right to become children of God. 
would you like to become his child? If yes, please pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died and rose from the dead to give me the opportunity to become a child of God. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. If you said that prayer this morning, I want to welcome you to the family of God because you are now a child of God and can benefit from everything that I spoke about this morning. Welcome also my brothers or sisters or brothers and sisters to the NLH family. And we would love for you to be a part of us. So if you are listening, please give us a call, send us a text message or WhatsApp on 469-333-0397. Reach out to us because we'd love to hear from you. So in closing, let us remember that Jesus became flesh to rehearse for us, to model for us, to pattern for us how we should respond when we're in our wilderness. Is our response going to be with the word as Jesus did when he was in his wilderness? Or is our response going to be murmuring, grumbling and complaining as the children of Israel did when they were in their wilderness? Remember this morning that Jesus became flesh to model for us how to respond in suffering. Is our response going to be as Jesus responded, knowing what the ultimate purpose was, which was the fulfillment of the word of God. And so he did and accepted his portion because he knew that the word had to be fulfilled. Or is our response going to be from our flesh, like Peter cutting off the ear of the soldier and not allowing God's purpose to be fulfilled, but becoming hindrances to what the Lord wants to do in and through us. I challenge each and every one of us this morning to respond as Jesus responded, because that is one of the reasons why he became flesh. Amen. To, to, to grab your emblems, whether they be cracker, bread, biscuit, whatever you call it, wine. Use the very using as liquid. Yeah. So this morning I want us to quickly look at First Corinthians eleven, verse twenty six. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Actually, we can go all the way up to... to, to... Okay, I'm going to do verse 26, and then I'm going to go to Luke twenty two nineteen. He said, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing or you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So what we are about to do today, Paul says to us, every time this is done, every time we do this act, Every time we carry out, I'm going to use the word ritual, not in a bad way, but every time we do this, carry out this ritual, this spiritual ritual, we are doing something. 
We're not just eating and drinking because we have nothing to do. It is done with an attitude. It is done for a reason. It is done to do, there's an, a particular act that will be accomplished when should be accomplished when we do this. Paul says, we proclaim or we announce the Lord's death until he comes. And so what does that look? What does proclaiming or announcing the, 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 the Lord's death? What's the significance of doing that? We reflect the, 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 the central message of redemption that Jesus came to die to redeem mankind. And in doing that, his blood was shed, his body was broken. Also, what it does, it causes, it puts us into that place or into that frame of mind to anticipate Jesus' return, which, which, which emphasizes the, the, the significance of the sacrifice that he made and the hope that it brings to those who respond to his death and resurrection. So here, what I am going to be repeating when we take of the this emblems that represent the body, the broken body of Jesus, and they, we drink that represent the blood of Jesus, we are indeed proclaiming the Lord's death. And we do this over and over and over until he comes. We are indeed sending a message to ourselves. We are sending a message to those around that we, this, that we are declaring that what Jesus did was is, is significant because it brings our Lord's redemption to those who partake, who, those who come and eat of the, sin, the broken body and drink of his blood. It also causes us, as Karen spoke about this morning, that Jesus' his suffering was, was, was actually, she said, Jesus' suffering Jesus became flesh to, to be our example of suffering. So everything that Jesus did was not just done because he had nothing to do. It was done for a reason. It was an example. It was, it was for him to model something or to demonstrate. It was a pattern for us to follow. In, in, Luke, in Luke 12, sorry, in Luke 22, I want us to turn our Bibles to Luke 22, verses 19 to 20. And here again, Paul says, Paul is also telling us a story. And he says, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. So he's showing what Jesus did. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to this disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So here again, Jesus said something. He instructed the, 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 his disciples. He broke bread and he gave them. And he said, this is my body. And it says, when you do this, you do this again in remembrance of me. So here Paul is telling us that in, in Luke, that we, when we take up the blood and the wine, we proclaim. And again, he's, telling, he's, he's repeating what Jesus says, that we take up the bread in remembrance of him. What does that do? That reflects the sacrifice that he did. And it showed that we are to do this for spiritual continuity. It's a teaching of Jesus that Jesus is saying, when I, I give my body to be eaten, I give my blood to be, to, be, to, be, to, to be had. Drink of my blood. And he says the blood represents the new covenant because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness without blood. There is no debt payment or death cancellation without someone's blood being shed. And Jesus said, I shed my blood so that you can be redeemed. So therefore, go and do this in remembrance of me. And as you do this in remembrance of me, you are proclaiming my death until I come. 
Do you see the link between the two scriptures and why we need to do it? And so this morning, I want us to go before the Lord and, and, and just speak to him. Thank him for what he has done. The, if, if, the, the old songs we used to sing were all oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. There is power in the blood of Jesus. And today we believe that as we are going to partake of the broken body of Christ, the emblem that represents the broken body of Christ, and the liquid that represents his blood, we are proclaiming, we are remembering the sacrifices that he made. We are continuing what he did and what he encouraged his disciples to do. And we are anticipating the return of our king. The one who comes back to reign. The one who will come back and give us hope. The one who will come back and take us to be with him because he has gone to prepare a place. So can we just we bow our heads and let us pray. Eat them, God. There will be a refreshing. There will be, Father, something new. There, the old in us will become new. We believe rejuvenation and refreshing that will occur because of your blood and body. We believe by faith, Father God, that where we have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that, Father, as we confess and we eat of and drink of, these emblems, Father, we believe that we are, in, we are in right standing with you because we have accepted the forgiveness that comes from you. We have been made redeemed by the body and the blood of Jesus. So, Father, we thank you today. We thank you today for what you did for us, Father. We thank you today for what it represents, not only for our today, but for our tomorrows, our future are in your hands. Thank you, Father. Our futures lie before you. Our futures are placed within your hands, Father. And we can confidently come and we can say, Father, you did it for us before. And you continue to do it for us. So we give you thanks, Father. Take these emblems, we pray. Bless them, Lord. May they accomplish that which you had intended them to accomplish in our bodies. May our mind be renewed. May our organs become new, God. May our cells, Father God, be become, become rejuvenated. Father, may things in our bodies change and in our minds and in our spiritually things change for us, Father. Emotionally, we will be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So may we break a cracker, your biscuit, your bread, and may we partake together. May we eat in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. And may we take of the drink or wine or juice and may we drink recognizing that this is the new covenant. We are in covenant with the Father through Jesus because we partake of the eighth blood. Thank you, Father. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood 
of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus, it washes white as snow. Oh, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working in the precious blood of the Lamb. Thank God for the cleansing blood. Thank God for the cleansing blood. Thank God for the cleansing blood that washes white as snow. Thank God for the cleansing blood. Thank God for the cleansing blood. Thank God for the cleansing blood that washes white as snow. There is power. Power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. As I was singing this song, I got a sensing in my spirit that the Lord is saying, I am here today to heal. The body and the blood of Jesus heals, it delivers. It does things that the human, in our humanness, we cannot do. The body and the blood of Jesus not only saves us, but it heals us. They heal us. And they deliver us. They set us free from all different bondages that we find ourselves in. And so this morning, I believe by faith that for any one of us who need to touch, to be touched by the Father today, to be touched by the Son, for the Holy Spirit to come this morning and touch you and bring healing, we are believing today that it is done. It can be done. So if that is what you need this morning, raise your hands and let us be praying. If you need a touch from the Savior today, you need him to heal you in your body or bodies. You need him to deliver you and to set you free. This morning, we come believing by faith that the same God that we worship, the same God that we took the body and his bread can still do it. And so right where you are, with hands raised, we say, Father, you have done it before. You are still the healer. We don't have to wonder if you can. You are, you're still the healer. And we say to those this morning with hands raised, by faith, be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name from the crown of your head to the sole of your feet. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be healed in Jesus' name. Father, we believe that you can do it. We believe that it is done today. So we, we believe and we take hold, Father. We take hold of that which you have made available to us. And by faith, we receive. We receive your healing today. We receive your healing. We receive your healing. We receive your healing. Put your hand where you need the healing. Or if there's not a physical spot on your body, you offer that thing to the Lord this morning. Lord, we believe that we are healed 
physically. We are healed financially. We are healed emotionally. We are healed intellectually. We are healed socially this morning in every area of our lives that we need healing this morning. We are taking hold of that which you have provided. Lord, you say we are to do this in remembrance. And as we remember the work on the cross, as we remember what you have done for us, Father, we take hold and we apportion. We appropriate everything that you have done for us, Father, and we apply it to the parts of our bodies that need to be healed. We apply it, Father, to our bank accounts that need the touch of Jesus. We apply it, Father God, to our emotions, Lord, where we are out of whack because, Lord, emotionally we are not stable and we need to be healed. We apply the healing touch of Jesus to our emotionally emotion. Spiritually, Father, we are not as mature as we want to be or as we should be, and so we apply the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus, Father, the healing touch to our spirit. And spiritually, we will grow and mature and become complete and lack nothing because of the body and the blood of Jesus. Father, we believe by faith that our memories, God, our memories, some of us, our memories are not where it's supposed to be. And so we apply the blood and the body of Jesus to our memories that as we eat, Father God, our memories will come back. Our brains will be, be will start to work as it, and function as it was desired and designed to function. Father, we thank you. We bless you this afternoon. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.